Welcome to TPQ20, where we go beyond the page with poets about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. I'm Courtney Marglin. And I'm Chris Marglin. Let's expand the conversation. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing fantastic. Let's uh, go ahead and get started. So I know who you are. But if you were to give kind of your elevator pitch to the world, um, who are you? Yeah, so thank you for having me on. My name is Alan Cesaro. Um, I do journalism, poetry. Uh, I was a former high school teacher for 10 years. um, And I teach in community classes and colleges as an adjunct now uh, from the San Francisco Bay Area, born and raised, Mexican-American. Very, very cool. Uh, High school is a good age to teach. I taught high school for uh, for 12 years. I love it. I uh, I can't wait to eventually head back that direction. Um, Me too. (laughs) (laughs) um, So, well, uh, let's start off with passions. Um, What are your major passions when it comes to the world of poetry and kind of literature beyond too? Obviously, Mm -hmm. you you kind of cross over into other Mm -hmm. genres. So what are your main passions when it comes to the world of poetry and literature? Yeah, um, so this is a little bit of a stretch, but I, I came into poetry through hip hop for sure. Talking about just, you know, forms of, of expression, right? Um, I grew up Bay Area, single parent home. My parents were Mexican immigrants. So I had a lot of unsupervised time growing up, which meant <laughs> that I could really pick and choose since my parents weren't weren't raised in the US. Um, they didn't, they weren't really passing me down you know, like Motown or this or that, they, they kind of just let me form myself, I guess, in a, in a way. So I got to, to really delve deeply into like um, my own notions of, of expression, which at, as, as at a young age, it's much easier to get into like Tupac, right? Than, right. than Chaucer or whoever. So um, for, for most of my adolescence, I was really actually disengaged um, from school and had flunked eighth grade and was kicked out of a lot of programs and was went to community college. So poetry came much later. And I always credit hip hop for being, you know, like Tribe Called Quest, Nas, um, Zion I, like a lot of super eclectic range of rappers that just oh, really got said, me into expression. You said, you said Zion I, and I gotta, yeah. gotta you know, give a little rest. RIP. Oh man. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly, dude. So a lot of them aren't aren't with us anymore. And and they were the, you know, their their spirit. I try to carry on through 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 my poetry and my writing and just sense of community. Um, so yeah, that that was sort of the initial bridge, graffiti too, um, and that was that was my first platform for expression as a young man. The real hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, well, it's it's interesting. A lot of people will talk about like rap and things, and I got really into you know hip hop. Yeah, got me into poetry, but then they miss out on that whole other the whole other side of that hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure obviously the bay area you were super just you were right there yes i do and you're not you know i i don't know how old you are but uh i imagine you kind of came up like early 90s yeah exactly so you got really really the in the in the thick of it at the right time yeah dude yeah like i was going to break dance events and you know i learned how to freestyle at a young age and that was my that was my poetry. I know it sounds cliche, but oh. um, as I've grown older, I, I'm 34, so you know, 90s was my era, and and I don't. It wasn't it wasn't easy as a Mexican American kid growing up 
all of my friends, none, none of us were academically motivated and none of us had parents that grew up in this country that were guiding us to, to do homework or whatever. So the safest and sort of most acceptable way to express yourself was like, okay, well, I'm going to become good at graffiti then, right? Um, and it took a while for that to translate into the like academic institutional yeah. setting for me. For some people, it never translates. Um, but for it, once it did, I sort of latched onto poetry as this sort of organic cousin of sorts where I felt like I could really sh transfer some of those skills I had picked up um, in my adolescence. Now, I, I have to ask, um, I had uh, Jose Hernandez Diaz on um, and nice. uh, we were talking, he was saying it was hard as that, as that, you know, Mexican-American, mm -hmm. his family wasn't always super excited about the idea of him being a poet. Yeah. Um, did you ever have any of that same, same type of kind of pushback? Um, indirectly, I, so I grew up in a really strange situation for Mexican-American. I, I had a single parent home that I was raised in and it was actually my dad, not my mom. Um, and he was very, as, as many dads are just not very engaged in, in the very strong sense of like, Hey, how was your day? What are you doing today? What are you interested in? So that's kind of what I meant where I really floated from elementary all the way through high school is just me and my dad and my older brother that lived in the house every day and he never remarried. He never had a girlfriend. So it was kind of just a lot of male energy, right? So sports and just kind of like messy house and yeah. So that, that's to say that he never told me no, but he never told me yes. Like I just kind of was like genuinely cruising through and sort of stumbling. And I, I had a lot of independence and freedom too much as a child, I would say, and as a teen. Um, and that's why it took me so long. But, but once I found it, I knew that that was it. And I felt really empowering that I, I was, I just felt like this was what I was meant to do. Um, and, and luckily, yeah, he didn't discourage me or encourage me. So I really got to choose that. <laughs> awesome. What is, uh, what's your writing process? How do you prepare yourself? Are there like superstitions that you have mm -hmm. or are there rituals you go through? Uh, how do you, how do you get to where you, and, and I guess for you, mm -hmm. uh, is it different depending on which genre you're working in? Definitely different. Yeah. For poetry, it's way more fluid, way more intuitive, way more, unknown so when i write a poem it's generally um there's some charged moment in the day that maybe resonates with me uh, an image something i saw something i felt or some concept that i'm ruminating on something bigger than myself and i'll just kind of i don't know what it is that i want to say but i'll i'll come to that space with this sort of blank canvas mentality and i'll let the words i'll really grapple with it and wrestle my way into some moment of clarity let's say okay and that doesn't always come but that's usually how i approach a poem it's much more open-ended i don't have any intentions or objectives whatsoever with the poem anymore when i when i do journalism it's the opposite i have a very specific question about a very specific topic and i'm going to a very specific person and i've already generated you know x amount of questions to really investigate the different angles of that topic let's say and then I interview that person and then I'll take what they say and sort of try to come to some meaning from that, but it's way more structured. Um, and yeah, like to write a poem I've learned nowadays, I have to be in this really, I have to be in a really clear state of mind. Like I have to have my, my spirit has to be full. Um, I have to have physical energy and mental energy because it, it is such an undertaking for me to, to write a poem because there are so many things that, um, I guess, yeah, I, I don't know what a poem is going to reveal to me. 
So I have to be like, sort of, it's like you're training in the dojo and you're ready. You're like ready for, to take a big hit, right? <laughs> That's how I view poetry now. It's very meditative. It's very introspective, very intuitive, like I said. Um, and yeah, I, I don't always have the capacity for that every day. <laughs> Does that, and, and I mean, as, as all writers, you know, you hit those times where like you, you go into something wanting to be super fluid with what you're doing and not think mm -hmm. about it. And uh, do you ever find yourself at the end of the day looking at that and just crumpling it up and throwing it away? Or do you mm -hmm. feel that you at least, you know, can pull a couple lines from something? Um, or is it, or is it something you find where it's fluid enough that you have a first draft by the end of, you know, by the end of a, like a, a handful of minutes, hours, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, how do you go about that? Usually with poetry, um, I, what, going back to your previous question a little bit, I guess it's not necessarily superstition, but it's more of a habit that I've learned where I, I never force my, I never feel like I have to write a poem. Like there's some people that say like, if you're not writing every day, you're not writing or whatever. I'm the opposite. Like if I'm not writing, I'm in the world and I'm filling up, I'm filling up on energy. Right. Yes. And there's moments I would say once a month where I'm like, okay, I've really reached my, my limit and I need to unleash. And because I treat poetry as that sort of sacred space that I don't always visit every day, mm -hmm. when I do sit down to visit it, it's usually at three, four, five, six a.m. in the morning when everybody's asleep, nobody's texting me, nothing's buzzing. And it usually comes out pretty naturally where my body and my spirit have something to say and they will say it without me. It, it feels effortless almost is what I'm saying. Yeah. But it's because I allow, I withhold from it so much that when I do sit down to write a poem, it's out of urgency, it's out of necessity, it's out of a hunger to engage with this form of expression. And that's something I've learned, especially again, because I do journalism, which is a different type of writing and I teach writing. So I'm, I'm always around writing, but poetry to me is, is that special sort of, almost like, like a treat that I give myself every so often where it's like, you know what I mean? Like when you yeah. get to eat cake once every month, you're going to really <laughs> enjoy that cake. Right. But if you eat cake every day, you kind of take it for granted. So that's one of my, I guess, tricks, I guess, that I've developed where like, yeah, like when I sit down and write a poem, it's very like it just pours out because I, I've like I've let the reservoir of myself really fill up to the brim. And when I open those floodgates, it just I'll write, you know, multiple poems and I'm not saying they're always going to be perfect on their first draft, yeah. but I usually feel pretty good about them. And then I won't, I won't touch them for 30 days. And then when I come back, it's like, I have that same hunger, that same intensity um, to really, really go in on, on, in that moment. Nice. Well, and then I guess that might lead us just directly into the next piece of the, the idea of those pitfalls then, especially mm -hmm. when you kind of write with so much hunger and it's kind of that, that, you know, that idea that at some point that hunger is going to be there and maybe there are times when it hasn't been there. Mm -hmm. um, so what have you found has been your kind of biggest pitfalls and obstacles along your journey so far? Um, I would say, especially early on, I was leaning too easily and or leaning too heavily into easy tropes. Um, I think every group of people have their, their cliches, right? Um, and being a Mexican-American male, there's a lot of easy things I think I could lean into memories or vibrations or images or stereotypical narratives, let's say. And I think early on as a 
writer, I was I was leaning like I, I wrote a poem about cucarachas in the house, right? Because I remember my first apartment, we had a lot of cockroaches, and I wrote a poem called Las Cucarachas, and that's what I mean. Where like I'm not saying it was a bad poem, but that was an easy poem for me to write. Um, and over the years, I've tried to really resist those sort of um, stereotypical or cliche poems that I feel like um, are expected almost of me. And I've started to write really more stranger things that I don't, um, I don't always anticipate writing. So whenever I find that I'm going into these sort of cycles of expected language or expected imagery or taco or burrito, whatever the hell, right? I'm not saying I won't ever use them. I'll just try to flip them into ways that are more authentic and unique to, to my intersectional realities, right? Right. Um, so there's a poem where like, I, I just started stream of consciousness writing and I ended up talking about a taco truck, but then I was like, let me talk about this specific taco truck at this specific intersection in this specific barrier city. And then I'll follow that up with me thinking about being in a Buddhist temple, which I was a few days ago, right? And I, I allow myself to have those free and associative leaps that I, I think it took me a while to have confidence in myself as a writer to be like, you don't have to write about X, Y, Z. You can write about L and O, you know? Right. And, and that's still valid as a Mexican American man. Um, and it's even more interesting to me personally when I'm writing it, I mean, and reading it, I think. Yeah, I, I like that idea a lot of that, you know, you got something that can be a cliche if you if you wanted to go that route, but then yeah, getting it down to that specific of an image where it's this moment in time and you're really going, okay, so it's not, has nothing to do with the idea of a taco truck. It has everything mm -hmm. to do with this spotlight moment mm -hmm. uh, where I need you to learn this thing. I like that. Um, sure. What, uh, what are you excited about right now? What's, a, what's really cool in the world of, of poetry or the world of literature or journalism? What's going on right now that you, that you see that, that kind of makes you really hungry and, and want to keep going in this weird world of literature? Dang, that's a good question, dude. It's a big one. Um, I don't know. I, I've said it before, and I don't think I'm the only person that said it, but I really feel like we're, we're living in a golden age of information, obviously, and people are consuming more information than arguably ever. I, I mean, the average person, of course. Um, and as a result, I feel like we have these opportunities to really reach a lot of a lot of people, a lot of diverse audiences, and not only to reach, but also to, to be a part of the dialogue. So, you know, I, I often think about like, you know, if I was a Mexican-American, Californian, first-generation kid, um, in 1928, I probably wouldn't be writing poetry and interviewing people. I'd, I'd probably be doing manual labor as most people were back then. Mm -hmm. um, and I would even say up until maybe like the 80s and 90s, about 60s, 70s, let's say, where that like those are the pioneers, the, the folks like Sonia Sanchez and Luis Rodriguez, you know, who, who and of course, many others. Those are just first random ones that right. came to mind. Martina Espada, like so many people, Gary Soto, um, like those were the, some of the pioneers, Glorian Zaldua, right? Like there's so many, you could go on for, for a while. Um, they sort of like really broke down the walls so that people in my generation could have the ease to just be like, you know what, I'm going to submit a poem. I'm going to become a poet and I'm going to submit poetry online by the click of a button. And this journal is going to publish it. And now these people are going to read it and then they're going to contact me on Twitter. And you know what I mean? Like we're just so hyper interconnected. 
and it could be a dangerous, it's a slippery thing, but I really try to take advantage of that. Even just meeting you, right? Like, and just using social media and using the, the, the freeness of information and of language. Um, that's something that I'm constantly driven by and I'm really trying to leverage. How can I create a platform, not only for me, but for other writers that come from these alternative backgrounds where, you know, like I said, I wasn't, poetry is not something I ever did until I was like 21, which is still early in retrospect, but you know, I was 21 years of my life where poetry was not, was literally not even on my radar. Um, and I, those are the types of, you know, other voices that I'm trying to find. Like, those are the poets that I, I want to discover myself and write about and include and um, highlight. Um, so that really drives my, my sense of being, I guess, in the modern, you know, literary landscape is who are those voices that, that we're not listening to? How can I um, create a space and further the path that was already created for me so that these other folks, whether they're my age, younger, older, doesn't matter, can also join me and share their voices and their stories. Um, but yeah, I think that's one like the golden era that we're living in that allows for that type of multitude of language and voices and perspectives. Nice. Yeah, I like I like that. And you I don't you must have found this as a teacher, uh, like kind of I do. It, it's that world where you can tell a student, hey, you know, uh, go search for, you know, button poetry online mm -hmm. and, yeah. and follow that YouTube rabbit hole of mm -hmm. finding all of these people that you never would have possibly heard of before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's definitely, I think you're right. We are living in that right time where poets like, you know, you read Pinata Theory and you, you read these, these books that are coming out now and they're so relevant and they sound like, you know, they sound like my students. They look like mm -hmm. my students. They're, they're what they've been missing out of, out of literature. Like mm -hmm. books are kind of boring unless mm -hmm. they feel like you. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's one of the things I love about your work is that Thank you. You know, I open up your work, not having your experience. Mm -hmm. And I feel what I, for me, I feel kind of mm -hmm. what I think I'm supposed to be. I, I learn from it. I experience mm -hmm. it. And it's not my world, but mm -hmm. it opens up a whole new direction for me. Um, and it's exciting watching and being able to kind of guide students that direction too. Um, Definitely. So I look forward to bringing your work into my classroom this year. Uh, hey, appreciate that, man. That's an honor. I, I really, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. always nice. And yeah, no, I, I feel you like I wrote those books um, with the way that I listen to mixtapes from, let's say, not I'm in New York right now by chance right. in Queensboro. And you know what I mean? Like I was a kid listening to Nas and being imagining what his life was like. And that's the same energy that I took into writing poetry is like, I want people to read these books and, and not just be like, oh, this is a Mexican American person. This is a Mexican American first generation kid from the Bay Area with XYZ interests. And that's that's what I'm I'm trying to convey all of those layers of myself. And I'm glad some of those connected. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for hanging out on TPQ, uh, TPQ20 today. Um, for sure. And we look forward to seeing what you come up with in the future. All right. Appreciate it, Chris. Have a great rest of the Much night. love, man. Thank you. Yeah. All right. See you. Thank you for listening to TPQ20. Please like, review, and